This is Island of Hollywood Hills. It's a podcast. Oh, where we go? Uh, I'm very excited for my my two Jewish wives to meet. Well, very nice to meet you. Hi, how are let's you? Brighten your, let's brighten your day a little bit. Let's have some yes, fun. This will be ridiculous. I don't know if you've ever listened to Jacob and I, but we are the dumbest people on earth. And We're not uh, right. It's really stupid, and uh, we'll probably barely get to most of the things that we uh, would really want to talk about. We'll probably just go off on some stupid shit. So, well, we'll just do it. I am, uh, I am, I am, uh, I, I think I'm Ryan Lambert still. I'm not sure. Doesn't matter. I, I need to check my records um, and uh, the universe and see what's going on there. Uh, this is my uh, wonderful, crazy motherfucker co-host, Jacob Strunk. And you are listening to Dying in the Hollywood Hills, probably very soon. Also, because we're doing uh, this uh, remotely and not in the same room, uh, Dying in MacArthur Park, <laughs> probably in the next few days. And Jackie, where are you located? Are you also in the Hollywood Hills? No, I'm in Hollywood proper. Okay. So you're down the hill. I'm down the hill. Is does this have a video element when the when the people at home will be listening? No. Or it's just we're just recording audio through Zoom. We are just doing audio. Someone's at my freaking door. Okay. Well. Uh oh. <clears throat> that's uh. That's not. If there was someone at my freaking door, I'd be freaking out. <laughs> but hey. There he is. So I'll this is a good time to do uh, some introductions. Jacob and I usually uh, uh, have been doing these, uh, you know, sort of one-on-one -on -one hoster things. Uh, every once in a while we have a good guest and I think this is a very special one because uh, uh, we have, uh, uh, well, we have Jackie Tone here with us. And uh, I have not uh, met her in person, but I've heard many, 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 many uh, good and terrible things. Course. Um, from Jacob and uh, and but I have met your little uh, little kid there and uh, for all of you who know out there uh, uh, Jackie is uh, with Glenn right now right oh, well, <laughs> or do you have a different do you have a different name for this dog or is that just the, what, what Jacob calls the dog and has never told me the real name well I guess right now he's falling asleep from rubs but <laughs> He is, his given name is Glenn. Okay. And um, I love him so fucking much. It hurts me inside and outside. <laughs> hurts me on all the sides. Um, but his, like I call him any name that comes to my brain. So like, <laughs> like lately, lately what's been coming, coming in and sort of coming in very hot has been Pia Conasandine, which is sort of a fun way to say Pecan Sandy. A lot of, <laughs> that one has a lot of fans, getting a lot of likes. I've told nobody. Pia Conasandine really comes out. Clelu Andante has been another that sort of, sort of, sort of falls from the lips in such a way. So maybe Cleo for short? Sure. You know, or people <laughs> are like, mm, I don't think you can really shorten Pia Cana. It'd be hard. <laughs> I just call him Cana. <laughs> I'm going to combine the two. Lilu <laughs> on Dean. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Have you given him a bath yet? 
I don't want to talk about that with you right now. Um, I have not given him a bat. Um, uh, hold on one second. Um, uh, okay, just getting that out of the way. Um, I have not given him a bath yet. He is a nice waxy boy, but I'm going to, I was going to, and then the forecast for the weather all week was rain. And I was like, he's just going to get muddy and rainy and gross. And there's no point in washing a dog who's then going to be dirt, mud, rained on. I mean, you can wash him more than once. Wait a second. Go rewind. <laughs> I can clean the dog more than one time. <laughs> Jacob never does, so at least you did it once. That's right. I mean, it is it, Glenn is his uh, his biological son. He is I my know. biological child. And I have uh, met him many times, and he—the nicest one there is. Uh, <laughs> I should be seeing him all the time right now. If there weren't a fucking pandemic that shut down the world, you would have him. Right, I'd be shooting, and you'd have your son. Yeah, god damn it. So what else is going on, guys? Any other fun things you guys are doing during this crap, and then we never want to talk about it for the rest of this podcast anything that you've been getting accomplished that you never thought you would anything that uh, um, yeah. shows you're watching i am uh i'm watching really weird stuff like for some reason we started jack ryan the other day which is a show i just would never in a million the thing is a little bit about me that a lot of people don't know i love action stuff like, I loved, like, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and when I was a kid and, like, more recently, all the Bourne movies. Like, somehow I'm just, like, I love action. Um, but then my dad was like, you gotta watch Chuck Ryan. And I was like, okay. I mean, the action is great. The writing is sometimes really sharp and sometimes it makes me want to bang my head against a wall where I'm like, it's so convenient. Like, there is just no... There's no universe those two people would have been in the same place to then run into each other to then make the, like that little nugget of coincidence the rest of the entire season rode on. And we're just supposed to forget that they just were both in fucking Venezuela. Get out of here. You right. Um, so I, every time I'm just like, I'm always, I, I mean, I'm constantly yelling at the screen. I'm a delight to watch TV with. I'm either yelling my fucking complaints at the screen or asking to pause. And my pause term is PRQ, pause real quick. And I'm always like, PRQ, PRQ. And then I just have questions because I'm like, I'm supposed to just my, suspend my disbelief that they just found each other in this tiny barn, but I'm just mad. Okay, so we wa we're watching that, which is very weird with all the amazing things there are to watch. Um, of course we watched Tiger King, but who cares? Um, what, uh, let's go back to Jack Ryan really quick. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Jack Ryan? I believe there's five different actors that have played the character. Oh, I'm four. just watching the Amazon show. Right, so that's one, that's uh, John. So it's just that. So, so there was, but let's go back. There was Al Baldwin, right? Was I? And then idea. Harrison Ford. There were, when, in movies? Uh, ben Affleck. Oh, I had no idea. And then, uh, I don't think there was another one before John. I think that maybe Ben was, there might be a fifth. Don't write in, don't at me. I'm just saying, if Jackie has seen any of those other films. Hunt for Red October. 
Oh, that's Jack Ryan? Yeah. Oh, but it wasn't called Jack Ryan. It was just called the, the film Ryan. wasn't called Jack Ryan. But then uh, there's Presumed Innocent and what was the other one, Jacob? Oh. With Harrison Ford, was it? Not Presumed Innocent. Patriot um, Games and Patriot Games. And then there was another one, yeah. And, and then I don't remember what Jack the Jack Ryan? Out. Yeah, that's all the I've been character Jack Ryan. sleeping on Jack Ryan's freaking entire film catalog? Oh, you also have like 100,000 books to read if, if oh, you Oh, no, wanna. no, those, those, <laughs> those are for sure going to continue my rest upon. I will continue to hibernate <laughs> upon to the books. I will, however, I will, however, maybe look those movies up. And my point in saying all of that was that I'm only even moderately interested in it. It's just something we're watching right now, so I'm watching it. Um, also, I totally thought for a second that you were removing your sweatshirt to reveal like a Jack Ryan t-shirt. Oh no, I'm revealing this amazing shirt. But it's um, not even. Um, uh, no, no. Oh yeah. But then I'm listening, I mean not listening, what I'm doing that this pandemic has afforded me the opportunity to focus almost solely upon, my writing partner and I are finally really diving into this feature we've been we started in 2017 and um i've always just been a very a very split focused person and that's been that's had a lot that's been very beneficial in a lot of ways and also um sort of opposite of beneficial what's that uh, <clears throat> opposite of beneficial mm -hmm. what word am i looking for detrimental <clears throat> yes thank you and has also been detrimental in a bunch of ways because when I'm diving into a thing and you're supposed to like live in that world of the thing that you're writing and working on, I've like never done that. I've always been like, cool, I can do from three to five on Wednesday and for like a couple hours on Sunday and then every other day I'm just doing something else. So it, it's always taken a really long time to get my focus back into the thing that I'm, that's right in front of my face. Sure. Um, I've been lucky in the last couple of years that like I've had some TV gigs and things going on that were rad, but they didn't really afford me the opportunity to sit down and be like, wait, I have this passion project and this movie idea that I want to star in and write and produce and fucking make. Um, and finally now we're working like 11 to four, pretty much six days a week. It's wild. And we're That's like great. looking in it. And I guess to the Jack Ryan point, <laughs> everything I'm watching I'm I'm sort of bringing back to the movie in in ways that don't even like we're making a romantic comedy that's a musical, and I'm still watching Jack Ryan and going like oh that's how they handled that okay cool maybe we don't need to like over explain how these two characters got into the theater like we'll just live in suspend our disbelief for a minute and just they got in the theater they're inside you know what I mean we watched like, I started like, the, yeah. the other night and it was the same thing it was like. That couldn't be further from what we're making, but there were these little, I'm just making the point of re when you're really living in the one thing, every piece of your life comes back to the one thing you're working on. And I think that's really. Sure. I'll be writing something and then just like watching something that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm writing, even like subject wise or anything genre wise. But I'll like see someone like the way they move their mouth. Yeah. Like, hmm. That little like quirk or something like that, that reminds me of something I was trying to get my point, you know, my the, right. the point across and something I was writing. So yeah, I totally understand that. And that's, a, I think that's a great way to like dip into all different genres and storylines and kind of take what you need from each. But I've never been 
able to because I've always been like, well, cool, I'll just like relax at the end of a day and like watch a show, but not really then go like, oh, here's what I can glean from that and funnel it through my own thing. Yeah, it's been it's been cool. Right. So so that's that's been a huge plus. We it's we're, it's a hundred and like three pages, and we just finished our second draft, and it's really getting there. And um, Jackie from the past helped us because I realized that this EP <laughs> of music I wrote in twenty fourteen, early fifteen, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the songs from that EP that I never put out because I was like, I don't even know what this music racket is, and like, what am I even gonna do? And I made this like sort of like anthemic, like sort of female Paul Simon, just like record that just moves and I never put it out. And I, we were writing this finale scene and we were kept like talking about this character's dad and the guy the character's dating. And I was like, this reminds me of this song I wrote a long time ago. And I pulled it up and it was as though we wrote this anthem for this movie. We were both Mm. like fucking jaws dropped. Like (laughs) how... Jackie from the past wrote the theme song to our movie. Like, what is life? <laughs> well, you know, it seems like there might be like a thread from then to now. What? I'm totally different. <laughs> <laughs> You've grown as a person. Oh my God, no, I'm the, I'm the same. I have like friends that I knew from elementary school who like catch me on something. And they'll be like, are you just the exact same as when you were nine? And I was like, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, actor. So, so you mentioned the EP. So let's let's go. Let's take it back. Where we where where were you born? You were born in New York. Sure. Um. So I was born in New York. Um. Moved to LA a really long. I moved to LA after I graduated from high school. Mm. And um. Yeah. Now it's now wild. You moved to LA for the sole purpose of entertainment. Yes, I moved to, a little bit of eczema. <laughs> I moved to, I know, who doesn't? I moved to LA after I graduated from high school to pursue a career in the arts. And I'd been acting at that point since I was nine. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it, I'd been acting like almost a decade. And I was like, time to get to LA and live my dreams. And now I look at 18 year olds and I'm like, anybody let <laughs> that leave the house by itself? <laughs> I moved across the country with, like, it was wild. Pre nine, pre nine years old. With nine, was nine like a starting a professional career or just kind of like figuring out your way? Was there um, pre nine? Was there pre nine year old performances that, you know, getting you ready for your nine year old professionalism? Very much so. Very much so. I um. I've been singing at the piano. My dad is a musician and I've been singing at the piano with him since I was, you know, a baby, baby, baby. Like, mm-hmm. like there's videos of me, there's a video of me singing the greatest love of all when I was like three or four. <laughs> and should we just bust? I think we should just bust into it right now. Let's do it. And um, <laughs> I believe the children are And I am so small. I'm wearing a leather skirt because my pop-pop, my mom's dad, was a tailor and he was the leather maker. And when I was a little baby, he would make me little clothes. Huh. A leather skirt and like a little puff shoulder white shirt. And I was singing <laughs> the greatest love of all with this girl, Jenna, from my, from my camp. And uh-huh. um, two of us, we each have our little tiny two hands on the mic 
and we're like leaning into the middle and singing. But by the end of the song, Jenna's just becomes like a glorified mic stand because I've pulled, <laughs> I've pulled the microphone just right in front of my face. So Jenna's like here and her arms are out and both of and we're just, and I have the video footage <laughs> to prove it. Um, What's funny, it, the funny thing is, is that the very first person that I sang with was named Jenna. Really? <laughs> when I was a little kid, when I was, uh, I think I was eight or nine years old. First thing I ever sang in front of people. It, the first thing I ever sang with another person, like a duet, was like at a, at a musical comedy theater troupe that I was in. And uh, you were in a musical her, comedy theater troupe when you were nine. We've got a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. That was my that was my life. That, I, that's why I'm asking those questions, because I had the same I had that similar experience. Yeah, I did some stuff when I was like a little, little kid, like sang in the chorus at school, did a solo, whatever. But then I joined an, an actual like outside school uh, musical comedy theater troupe. And uh, yeah, I think I was like nine or ten when I started doing that. And did yeah, you, the first person I ever sang a song with was named Jenna. Did you understand <laughs> joke structure when you were 10? Uh, I learned there. Huh. Because we were That's... doing things like, uh, we'd do like South Pacific, and sure. I'd play like one of the sailors or something. Or we'd do, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot or, of gags. Or you appropriated more than you're uh, admitting on this podcast? Probably. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, so, okay. So you, uh, but this is not about me. The people that are listening know my stupid story. I'll, you know, we can have drinks later when this pandemic is over, and we can talk about me all you want because, you know, it is one of Jacob's favorite subjects. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so okay. So you did some stuff, and then you're you're nine, and then here we go. Right. So you're I sang with Jenna at Camp Roosevelt when I was like three, mm -hmm. and then. Um, yeah, I got, um, there was a, there was an agent in my small town. Um, I lived in Oceanside, Long Island, and this, uh, the neighboring town was Baldwin. And mm -hmm. there was an agent there who was in Lamaze with my mom <laughs> when they, in like, you know, the 70s. And uh, they, my mom and her stayed friends. And then when I was, I don't know, how else do I put it? A wildly charismatic child. <laughs> um, my, I wanted to be an actress and my mom called this one, called Aggie and was like, hey. And Aggie was like, oh yeah, let's go. And so I started going on auditions when I was like nine or 10. And then didn't get my first gig until I was on The Nanny when I was 12. Okay. So but this was like that, I was like I got a Rice Krispies commercial that I got cut out of when I think I was eleven, um, and I was like a little Andrew Dice Clay kid. I like wore a leather jacket. I was like just like badass like ten year old kid. I like had a leather. Was that the nanny character? Is, is that what happened on the nanny? Yeah, on the nanny, I pretty much played the same character I play on Glow, but same, okay. Also known as the same character I walk through life as. <laughs> <laughs> That's just who I am. Well, we'll get to Glow and your and your in your real life later but I, I like to because like I was going through your IMDB a little bit and just you know when I do my like interview research or whatever and uh, I'm like really crazily impressed and need to know about uh, your early credits oh, um, you mentioned the nanny but um, uh, there's uh, uh, strangers with candy there's that's a you're, crazy you're, story actually you, you are you're I mean you're you're uh, Buffy universe canon, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, so 
<laughs> a lot of these are sort of like kind of cool, kind of heartbreaking stories, actually, the ones you're bringing up because- I'd love to hear Strangers with, both, with Candy. With both Strangers and with Candy and, um, and um, uh, Angel, I auditioned for other things, like huge parts. Okay. I almost, almost, I mean, this was a story of my life for quite honestly, 25 years before I got glow. Um, I was up for everything. So when people would say to me like, God, you never got that big break. Like, why would you stay in this business? Why did you not just become, you know, a teacher or, or, you know, have a job that, um, and Jacob and I have talked about this ad nauseum, like, what, what about another fucking job? But for me, not only was that not an option because I have zero other skills, but it was also not an option because I felt so close all the fucking time that I was like, it's gotta happen. And then for 25 years, it literally just didn't. Like I was up for some huge part on Angel and I didn't get it. And they were like, but we love you. Will you do this other thing? And the other thing was like three lines. And the same thing with Strangers with Candy. I tried out for like one of the main kids at the high school that Jerry Blank went to. And they were like, oh, she's funny. We love her. And then I had one line on Strangers with Candy. So I almost got this like what could have been a life-changing opportunity and instead became, you know, an under five gig. And an under right. five, those listening at home, is when an actor gets a job. Now I think they're more called co-stars. But when I was a kid, <laughs> they would literally be on the breakdowns U5. And it was- right. You know, you were getting an under five gig, meaning you literally had under five lines. And yep. it was a different pay scale. It was a different everything. Absolutely. I did the same thing. You know, um, all of... What about... I did Angel. Was, probably was Angel... The, was, were you going to play Fred on Angel? Was that the, was that the main character? No, actually. I don't think it was none of the... It wasn't any of the mains, because the show was already on. It was okay. like some huge recurring. Like, okay. probably a character that came in and was going to do, like, a big old season arc. And it was right. between me and the girl that got it. And then they were like, we love you. Do you want to do this other thing? And I was like, so broke, so hungry for any fucking work I could possibly get. And, of course, I, I said, yes, you know, I'd, I'll do anything. Well, I, if there's a big book of Angel, like, you know, the Bible, you're, you're in there somewhere. So, to me, you're canon. And that's important to me because I'm a huge fan of that universe. I'm so. Um, I love Strangers I with Candy. Disappoint you. I think there's <laughs> a good chance they left me out of a book. Ah! I don't think my character had a name. Does she have I a name? I think on the IMDb it says like woman number one. But oh, sometimes that can still be like a few lines here and there that are good. Listen, God bless everybody coming up and busting their asses. I am glad my woman number one days are behind me. Good. Yeah. That's a. That's a great uh, title for this uh, podcast. <laughs> My woman number one days are behind me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> keep those titles nice and long. I love it. So what do you feel like was the first thing that like, you were like, fuck yeah. Um, I don't I mean, work. I mean, we're actors, work is work. I get that. And I, you know, you just want to work and you just want to be on set and learn and keep going. But like, there must have been one part, even if it was small, in something where you just went, all right, here we go. Well, I mean, it was for sure than any, because I was 12. I was super, like, I wasn't seasoned, right? So, like, I didn't know. And it was live in front of a studio audience. So I was, like, kissing the sun, and the audience is cracking up laughing. Fran's kind of breaking, and everyone's, 
and I sort of almost laughed a little and I had to cover my mouth. I mean, I was certainly <laughs> not a seasoned pro by any means by the time I was like 12 and got the nanny, but that was definitely the job where I was like, yeah, this is, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. LA was always sort of like the dream. And I'd been coming out to LA, like I'd come out for a couple pilot seasons, actually. So you were going back and forth? No, not always. But like, there was a couple times when I was in like middle school or high school where like I'd come out to LA for like a week or two and just like, you know, or a week and like miss school and have to make up a lot of stuff. Or if I came to LA to like work, I would stay, excuse me, stay an extra like five days or a week. I remember one time I tried out for a Hallmark commercial in New York and it ended up being the biggest deal commercial ever. This was back in the day. Um, I mean, I guess they still do this, but I mean, the amount of money they spent on this commercial and this very, very famous director at the time named Joe Pitka, who actually directed Space Jam, just so weird. Um, Joe Pitka, I know that name. Yeah, so he was like a monster commercial director, was winning all the awards. He was doing this Hallmark commercial. They flew me and my mom, I must've been all of 14, me and my mom first class to LA. And even then I was playing degenerates. It was like this 14 year old kid who like keeps getting called to the principal's office. I have chills. So the principal calls me down and I'm like, I'm like, uh, I swear I didn't do nothing this time. <laughs> and I'm like, this bitch. Did you go up against Pamela Adlon a lot? I feel like she's, she always played that one. She, she always played that character too. No, I think she's got a couple years on me. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's a little older than me. Yeah. Um, older but, than me. But, but that vibe, I mean, it was, when I was a little, little kid, I was more up against like, you know, the, the kids I was up against were like Jessica DeChico, who's now like a huge voiceover actress. Like mm -hmm. she's the voice of every cartoon you've ever heard. Um, there was a girl named Eden Regal I was up against a lot, who then became a big, a huge Broadway star and then was a soap opera star. I was up against Natalie Portman when I was a kid. We were little, we were little kid friends. She taught me how to tap dance for the Gypsy the TV movie audition. Oh my God. When I was like 11 or 12. <laughs> nah, I was probably 13, I was 13. Um, yeah, so like growing up, it was like a core of us. There was the, the Berdals, Bo and Blaze Berdal, who were the twins in Pet Cemetery. Mm. One of them is now one of them is now my voiceover agent. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. Over By the way, side note, Jacob's like gesturing things and pointing to his pet cemetery tattoo. tattoo. But like, no one knows that you did that. So. I did it for you guys. Well, you know. But feel free to be like, hey, everyone at home, I have Just... a pet cemetery tattoo. I'm it ties in. It ties in. Um, anyways, it was a, it was a, all that to say, just, it was a wild childhood. And there was a lot of things I did that made me go like, this is what I want to do. I mean, all the times that I was so, so close to stuff. I mean, I remember sitting at Bernie Telsey's office in New York up for, up for the Gypsy, the TV movie thing, or maybe it was a goodbye girl on Broadway and just looking at all of these people and getting so close and just going like, this is it. This is what I want. This is the... Sure. And you know, and, which is like you, you keep like saying things, and then I'm like, well, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> so, uh, theater, like, how um, seasoned are you in that world? And is that something you did when you were a kid? And I'm, is that something you want to do now more of? So, I'm not as seasoned in theater 
for a bunch of reasons. Um, I've been living in Los Angeles for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so 20, 21 going on. Wait, what am I talking about? Is it already 22 and I'm just lying to myself? No, 21. <laughs> and, and I, you know, but I, I don't think it's a secret that, you know, the, the, the theater world here is not, is not, um, f- doesn't really flourish the way it does in New York. Not the same. It's out there, but it's, it's not the same. It's out there, but it also like, in New York, if you're doing theater, there's that validation and you're respected and you're making money and there's the panache and everybody wants to come and see you, helps sure. you get on TV in New York, helps, it's mm-hmm. sort of, and, I, and I think in LA, you know, that's very much not the case. It's not, you know, there's sometimes people go and, and see theater, but I think if you want to be a theater actor, you should live in New York. And if you want to be a TV and movie actor, I think it's, you're really a, a world, world better off living in LA. And 100%. So, or um, I guess Atlanta now. <laughs> yeah. Or what was New Orleans a bunch of years ago? It used and to be, Vancouver yeah. before that. Yeah. Um, oh, Vancouver was the one like me, like at least like late, 80s and like most of the 90s was Vancouver still is you know yeah it still is I mean but I think you know the through line to all of that is like it has always been LA and will probably always be LA I remember Um, always trying to get on the x-files like when am I gonna get on the x-files like I know like I don't really act anymore you know during the 90s but I was still like "Hmm, should I watch Vancouver and be on the x-files what's that should I watch the X-Files in the pandemic? Uh, you should watch X-Files if it wasn't the pandemic, but of oh. course now. But yeah, oh. that's a fun show. Ryan, I mean, Ryan does, does Jacob talk in the pod or just us? No, he just stands there and stares at me and I just yap. Oh, okay, I love it. I mean, no, I usually, I think he's, he, I think that there's a little bit of like, I'm interviewing you kind of thing and he doesn't, he already knows everything, so he doesn't know what to say. He does. I mean, I don't think he knew the <laughs> I don't think he knew It's the fun looking at him staring at us. <laughs> I don't think he knew the angel story. Is he alive? Oh, I there he is. Not know, I did not know the angel story. Yeah, but he knows, I would say, more than probably. Sure. Most. And he can chime in whenever he wants. Um, maybe I'm just uh, stoned and being a blabbermouth, but... No, it's delightful. Um, But I'm also extremely interested in your sort of path because it it, it somewhat mirrors mine in a weird way. So I'm always interested in that sort of, like what was your experience growing up, you know? I I kind of did it like almost in reverse because like the first couple things I got were kind of big things. And then it started like go down and then I quit. And then I became a musician and a dirtbag, and then I moved to San Francisco, and now I'm just starting to rise again. So I'm sort of doing the struggling actor thing now. Yeah. Like, it, almost in my 50s, in a weird way. And, cause like, I never got that when I was a kid. So I like to hear other people's stories about how tough and ridiculous it was, and it's gotta be, and, and, and thank God you made, you made it through, a, here comes the siren, the sirens in my neighborhood. Uh, that's about every 15 minutes. So we'll let that go by. <laughs> we have uh, we have four minutes left before we have to jump to the other, the second link. Okay. Okay. Uh, what was I just talking about? Oh, just that you and I have sort of had reverse trajectories. Sure. 
so yeah, I like to hear about the the other side of it. Like, but you also got in a little bit before I feel like the onslaught of madness of Los Angeles where yeah. it became like, I just want to go there to be on a reality show and then I want to be on the cover of People magazine. There were um, no reality shows when I when I came out here. They didn't. Make I mean, when I was a kid, there was none. So I mean, you know. yeah. Well, when I moved here, there were there were certainly none. Um, I think sort of sure. there was the first one, and it was years later. But um, yeah, it's interesting because I think about um, our reverse trajectories, and I think about you know what my life would have looked like had I made it as a kid, and I don't think my adulthood would look remotely like what it what it looks like now I, I certainly can look at a lot of my friends when we were in our late teens and early 20s who were getting it who were getting all those jobs then and mm-hmm. there's i don't know it's interesting they've sort of split a couple of those people are a-list celebrities now a couple of those people are no longer right and a couple of those people i mean i you know are pounding the pavement and trying to get it done a little bit still. Sure. I would say the majority of them probably like moved away and are parents now. I definitely had, I mean, you know, you were saying you're up against like Natalie Portman and like amazing, like huge voiceover act. I mean, I was going up against like uh, the Corys, uh-huh. Kristen Slater. Yep. And it was heartbreaking because you know, those motherfuckers were getting everything and we were just kind of trying to squeeze things out and getting things here and there. Um, And I still watch stuff today, you know, huge things. I'm like, yep, there's homeboy. Like one of my best friends growing up still like killing it. And yeah, uh, but I mean, I also watch things which is wild and just go like, there's that homie who was really famous as a kid and then overdosed on heroin. And there's that other one that did the same thing. And there's that fifth one that did the same. It's just like, of course, yeah. boy. let's go back to um, like that middle ground where you were like, like maybe right before glow, like where is that Glenn? Yeah, of course. I have very, I have really bad eyes. So, you oh, know, like I, that was more for Jacob anyway, because I know he can only go so long without seeing Glenn, but I'm fully listening. Uh, so back to that middle part. Yeah, like maybe like right before Glow, like was there like a little bit of a, were you like, was there any discouragement? Like, were you, <laughs> were you just carrying on? And what, or was that, was I mean, that like was, a big, like, quite honestly, David Duchovny always talks about right before he got X-Files. He's like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm going home. Like I'm I'm sick of this business and I'm I'm getting parts but not the things I want and then they called and they like you got the X Files changed his entire life obviously. Um, I mean, I like that story. Um, it makes me roll my eyes a little bit, but God bless. Um, I mean, you're I think, down to your last top ramen and like there's nowhere to go kind of feeling. No, but it's very it's very. I'm not saying it's not true, but it's like a very cinematic story. I think we hear all the time that every actor said that before they got their big break. Sure. And I think we, as actors, we say that all the time. And he probably said that the, the 10 auditions before X-Files and then just didn't <laughs> play. So like, I, I'm not saying, I mean, it's, it's just, it's very romanticized and that's fine. I mean, 
I get that. I get the need to feel that way and tell that story and all of that. I think for me, I sort of have a different journey where I never thought about quitting, which is, I think, a sort of blink of insanity or whatever word I'm looking for there. Like, a, a, a lot, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Something of insanity that that I don't know a lot of other people who had that had because when I list all those people from my childhood, you know, the people that I mentioned, those four, those four actors, like one's a voiceover agent, one was a soap opera star, and now she had kids, one's a voiceover girl, uh, voiceover actress, and one's Natalie Portman. Um, I'm not talking about the hundreds of kids that I ran into growing up who like all of course stopped doing this. Of course, after being rejected for five years, let alone the 25 I was rejected for, the the 20, the five years, 10 years. Like I remember in my early 20s when I lived out here, all these kids, these kids were dropping like flies, going back to, you know, going back to where I was gonna say Wisconsin, going back to Wisconsin, going back to wherever, going back because there was like, listen, I'm going to be 24, 25. This isn't working. Then as I reached my 30s, more and more people were like, this just isn't viable. And to my credit and discredit, I just never said that or felt that. I was just like, if I'm going to do it, do this for no one, I'll do it for no one. But I, I can't not do it. Yep. And I don't know that, you know. Well, for me, like, I have always figured I'm kind of stuck doing this because like you said, I have no other skills at all. Yeah. I couldn't go back to Wisconsin and make a living. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't even know, like gun to my head, I don't even know like what I would, I could maybe, there's like something about psychology I really like, but I'd have to start over. I'd have to be broke for however many years and go to school and learn. Like I would have to fully start from scratch and figure out what that would look like. And so not only do I not want to do that, but I want to do the thing I'm doing. And I, you know, people have asked me, you know, since I've booked Glow, like, you know, why did you, why did you stick with it? And I guess all I could really say is that, I think it's a bunch of reasons. I think one is, I don't really have other skills than the, than the, than the, Quite a few I have in the arts. Um, the other reason is um, I don't want to do anything else, which I guess that that probably is a lot of people. But the the another reason that I think maybe separates me from other people, but I'm not sure, is that it did feel like it was. It, it has felt this whole time like it was bubbling, and not in a way that makes me a crazy person that like thought I was really close on something I really had no chance at like. I remember sitting in there, is his name John Singleton? What's his name who directed Hustle and Flow? Mm -hmm. Yes. I remember sitting with John Singleton on the screen test for Hustle and Flow and being like, it's about to be me and, and Terrence Howard. It was his first movie, no one knew who he was. And, it was. and I was like, they were reading the scenes and I was like, this is about to be me. Like wild, and hmm. it just wasn't. And then like being um, screen, te screen testing with Kirsten Dunst for some movie and just being like, cool, it's about to be me. Like it wasn't. And then just all of this, all these pilots and screen testing and filling out all the, cause you know, with screen tests, for those of you at home, you need to fill out the whole deal before you go into that final audition. So should they cast you, your contract's already done. 
And I can't tell you how many of those contracts I filled out and didn't book the job. I mean, it was a, it was a couple of years. I was just like constantly almost booking shit, which I guess to a lot of people is like, oh, wow. Think about all the people who didn't even have opportunities and who didn't even get that close. And I do feel for those people, absolutely. But financially, we were in the exact same boat. Neither yeah. of us had two nickels to rub together. I was still cleaning out closets and working for my famous friends to make anything <laughs> that I possibly could. And a really... Um, allocating the money that I made as an actor, the little money that I made as an actor really well. I had a development deal when I was like 18 that paid me a lot of money. And it worked for like over $100,000. And mm. just over. And I, I, I lived on that money. I mean, I think I lived on that money for years, for probably four years. And I was trying to get other jobs in the meantime, but I was lucky to have that little, you know, I didn't go, have to go and, you know, that's a fucking lot of money for someone who's 21. Sure. There's a, I'm sure there's a few listeners out there right now it, comparing your stories to mine a little bit as far as like signing contracts while doing screen tests. There's some, there's some pretty famous ones out there. It's like, hmm. I you have the most depressing screen test story. <laughs> Pretty much. Because on top of that, you're looking at a paper that says how much money you're going to make per week, per episode for 20 Oh, I've had bags packed and a plane ticket in my back pocket. And I'm like, I'm ready to go. Let's go. My mom's like, hold on, the phone's ringing. I'm like, oh, go get it. And they're like, um, hold off for a few seconds. We're trying to figure something out. I'm like, hold off, we're on the way to the airport, we're going to Mexico City. And then it's like, mm, something happened. And I'm like, oh, guess I'm not doing that. And Life then and they're like, well, we still want you to be involved, but we want you to go through the process of getting screen testing. I'm like, you know what, go fuck yourself. I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. I remember so, I did a series with, I got six episodes, it was like a mid-season replacement show with Judd Hirsch and Daniel Stern, and oh. I replaced the girl in the pilot. So they did a pilot, I didn't even try out for it. Then they, only reason they saw me for, the, for replacing her was because they had literally seen every other person in the, in the whole city. <laughs> I, that's just a fact. And finally, I think I was still with my agent in New York, they took her call and she was like, this is this girl, you're looking for like a 21 year old New York, I think I was 23, they're like, you're looking for a 21 year old New York girl who's wise beyond her years, who just had a baby, like, this is your girl. I meet with them, they're like, oh, damn, you're right. David Litt, the writer of King of, creator of King of Queens, who obviously loved Leah Remini, saw me and he was like, oh my God, you're like a mini Leah Remini, this is fucking crazy. He's like, you are this character. He like just wrote basically the kid version of her. He was like, I didn't even think this person existed i thought we were just gonna have to cast an actor to play this figment of my imagination but you exist it's wild i come in the room i get the part the girl gets fired from the pilot i'm now doing this series my first big gig biggest experience of my life uh day one we're in table read on monday tuesday we're rehearsing on the stage but it's not a dress wednesday 
Um, we had like a big, we took a day off, a huge press junket, meeting everybody at ABC, walking all the carpets. Unbelievable. My parents are in town. Thursday morning, they're like, hey, will you come to this? Will you come to CBS Radford? We, um, I'd like my parking spot, my dressing room, my badge with my face on it. Like I just would <laughs> show up and I was always my dream to just drive up to the lot and wave at the security guard and have them let me <laughs> without having to be like, I'm Jackie here for an audition. I'm so small. So I go, I go to CBS Radford. They wave me on. I'm like, what's up guys? How's it going, Joe? Me and my parents are in the car because the live taping is going to be Friday. And the producers had called. They wanted to have a quick meeting. So we drive up. I tell my parents, I'm going to go to the production office at, the, at one of the bungalows in the back of CBS Radford. You guys just chill um, in, the, in my dressing room. And as I pull up to my parking space, there's a man... <laughs> paint rolling my name off my parking spot. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's unbelievably terrible. And then I went into production and I was like, what's going on? And they were like, Jackie, calm down. Sit in our office. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? My parents are in the car and someone's paint rolling my name off my parking space. And I remember one of the people, one of the producers was like, we're going to need you to calm down. And I was like, you guys aren't even real people. This is wild. Like, how would you react if this was happening to you right now? Like, I'm not flying off the handle. I'm just mad. Like, what? This is wild. Like, they wanted me to just sit there and go like, thank you for the opportunity. Have a wonderful day. And instead, I wasn't going nuts. But I, was I like, do. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Hugs. <laughs> like, I was fully hoodwinked. My parents, like, they could have just been like, hey, it's not looking good. Like, come in. And then, and then David Litt like called my age, my manager and was like, I'm so sorry. There's nothing I could do. Like I wanted her. I fought for her. The ship sailed and I got fired and the girl from the pilot got rehired. Oh, Jesus. And well, so luckily that never came to fruition that particular show. Right. It was on for six. It was on for three of the six episodes, but it was such a disaster. It didn't even know what it wanted to be. Like the pilot, right. the whole point of the pilot was it was like a family of fifteen, and then by mm. the time they made the one I was doing, it was a family of four. And then when we were doing the press junket, they told us all. They told all the actors not to talk because they didn't even know what the show was going to be. So they were sort of like waiting for David Litt to just sort of right. spin. I mean, he was amazing. Well, at least you could say you worked with Judd Hirsch. <laughs> I did, very briefly. I still have those press photos in an ABC press kit somewhere. Me, Beautiful. Judd Hirsch in like a brown recliner. I'm <laughs> standing next to him. And then like me holding a baby. And then John... What was the, pre what was the premise of the show? I don't remember. I think it was just like regular, <laughs> it was regular Joe. So Daniel Stern was Joe. So it was like the life of this guy who... And his dad, Judd Hirsch, and his daughter, who has a baby. Uh-huh, and his son, John Daly. John Francis Daly from Freaks and Geeks. Got it. All right. I yeah. could see that being a thing. But um, it wasn't. It was <laughs> for about a half an hour. Um, I think it aired, like, three of the episodes and was sort of, like... Um, and then years and years later, I, I saw that, that casting director brought me back in. But it wasn't for, like, another five years, at least. Right. I remember I thought yeah, that, that, was, that was like the end of my career when I got fired. That's the thing about casting directors. Like I always see uh, films sometimes and I'm like, oh, this person is in this film as well. Mm -hmm. um, they love to work with who they love. I wonder what the thing, and I'm like, oh, oh same casting director. Mm -hmm. They brought in, they just keep bringing them in.
Yep. I love that. It is a, you know, it can be a small business. Um, speaking of what you just said. get up there. Speaking of what you just said, that exact phenomenon is how I got glow. Oh, okay. Well, that, hey, see, right. she keeps saying things that I'm already going to ask. Mm-hmm. That exact thing, because I, again, they had seen everyone in the city. I had like pretty small reps at the time. And um, they'd seen everyone in the city for this uh, futile and stupid gesture movie that David Wayne was making about mm. the exception of National Lampoon on Netflix. I love that movie, by the way. I oh, love that. Thanks. Me too. I love that movie. So, um... I, I need to watch it again because I just love it. It's uh, really good. I've watched it twice. And uh, recent, I watched it when it was out and then I watched it actually like maybe like three months ago. It, it's, it's phenomenal. And I love that story anyway. I read, I read the book and uh, I don't know. When I saw that you were on it, I'm like, what? <laughs> but basically that's, so they'd seen everybody in the city and I, and I go in for this audition and it's for Gilda Radner who is, yeah. who has always been and continues to be like, in my top five, like just heroes. Like this wasn't, I was not casual about it. And like where people love Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett, I love them too, but they're not Gilda to me. Like for me, it's like Gilda, Bette Midler, Joan Rivers, Howard Stern. Like these are the people that I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't even bear it. I'm um, watching, I'm watching Haunted Honeymoon tonight. Oh my God, maybe I'll join you. Um, <laughs> so um, from the privacy of my own home so anyway I went in for that, <laughs> that audition and they were looking for someone that you know obviously looks and sounds like Gilda which um again to my credit and discredit I do and uh always loved her already knew how to do like already was I've, I've been imitating her like entire SNL catalog since I was a baby like when I used to go on auditions and I had to do characters I would do her characters like I had just right. been embodying Gilda from at the time I was a child, I mean, I, I played that greatest hits, her SNL greatest hits VHS. Yeah. Um, in my bedroom, set a TV VCR, not to brag. And, um, but I didn't really have cables at a bunny ear, so I had to go VHS pretty hard. Anyway, Mac and Me was my other favorite. Okay. So I. Mac and Me? Wait, hold on. Stop. Sure. I'll pause. Mac and Me? Loved it. Obsessed. Like the ET ripoff, Mac That's and right. Me? That's right. <laughs> okay. Can you believe that ever existed? I can't even. Uh, there's a great bit that Paul Rudd does every time he's on Conan O'Brien's show. Love it. And it is one of the greatest bits I've ever seen. I, I think Jacob's seen it. Oh, he, like, fantastic. Yeah, he comes on and he talks about the film and they, or they talk about other stuff. And, you know, uh, you know, Paul goes into some other things. And then he, they, so Conan goes, so this new film you're in. Um, and then they, he goes, yeah, let's see a clip. And then he always shows the, every time he's been on, he shows the same clip from Mac and me, where the alien goes off of the cliff in of the, uh, in the uh, wheelchair. I can't, the fact that it's not- He shows it every time, every single time, as the clip of his, the film he's promoting. And, and he goes, all right, no, 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 let's show the real clip. Here's the real clip. And it just shows it again. He's never shown a clip on Conan that was the film that he was actually... I have never been more furious at anything in my entire life. I'm throwing my computer in the river. <laughs> also, there's a compilation of it that you can watch on YouTube. Of him, oh, of I will. Over and over again. Yeah. Oh, I got you, it. You, you don't have to watch each interview. There's just one where it just keeps happening, like, from all the years. <laughs> I, I'm so happy <laughs> them. I'm so happy. Anyway, so yes, Mac and me. 
Anyway, yes, okay. so we used to play the Gilded Tape over and over and over. So when I got this audition, I was like, game over, like game over. And I knew, by the way, that people, I knew other people who'd been wait cast like a week or so prior, a week or two prior. And I was like, they gotta be on the tail end of this thing. Like they can't, they can't, first of all, if they're bringing me in. I, I mean, it's a bummer to say, but that's where I was at my career. Like I knew that if I was getting an audition, they were cast in a wide fucking <laughs> Um, yeah. And that's what the case was with Gilda. I went in and I forget what this girl's name was. She was so beautiful. Her last name was Rivera. Anyway, gorgeous, like Latina girl, just beautiful. And I was like, who are you reading for? And she was like, Gilda Ratnick. Oh. I was like, oh my God. Oh Not my good. God. They have seen every, but like, literally this is wild. Um, and they wanted somebody famous for it. So I think they were talking to like Emmy Ross and they were talking to people that like, and David, David Wayne was like, we gotta find this girl. So when I went in for Allison Jones, who's like one of the heroes of casting, mm -hmm. um, I went in and they said, listen, the movie takes place pre-SNL. The, the part that you're in takes place pre-SNL. Like the part with Dan Aykroyd, Gilda, Chevy Chase, Chris Guest, Belushi. So, yeah. but we wanted to see if you can embody her. So like, if you wanna do some of the, her characters from SNL, you can. And I did them all. Well, I did like seven or eight of them. I had costume changes. There was a part where Gilda was in the Lemmings uh, world tour. So it was like yeah. Gilda. So it was like me playing Gilda, playing Joan Baez. So I brought in a guitar and there was only lyrics in the script and I wrote a full song to it. I listened to what <laughs> Joan Baez sounds like and what Gilda might sound like sounding like her. I went and I had like a 25 minute audition and it could have looked really try hard and kind of embarrassing. But instead, Allison Jones, as I was leaving, she was like, Jackie, don't cut your hair. Ah. Like, oh, okay, bye. And Isn't then I it left. funny what people don't understand goes on in this world to get these things? What? They're like, oh, I'll just put this on really quick and beep. Ah, that was good. I love that movie. It's like, do you know what it took to make oh, that God. piece of art? Like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. People don't understand when Alison really Jones was trying to get me cast as Gilda, because apparently it wasn't that easy, she sent my tape to her protege in New York who cast Girls and all these other shows named Jen Houston in New York. And she was mm. like, look at this girl who's playing, like, Gil like, what do we, like, boots on the ground in New York. Like, who do we need to, like, do you know anybody we can talk to to get this? So anyway, I get the Gilda role. And then, like, a month after I shoot it, I get the audition for Glow. And I go in and I'm in a waiting room with Hulk Hogan's daughter and <laughs> Mariana Palka, who plays Reggie on Glow. And I'm sitting there and Mariana's like 6'2", and Brooke Hogan is Brooke Hogan. And I'm like, what is going on here? And the Jen Houston comes out and I'm like, hey, I'm Jackie, thanks so much for seeing me. This is, you know, easily the coolest thing I've ever read. And she goes, oh, I know who you are. And I was like, how? And she said, Allison Jones sent me your Gilda tape when you auditioned. And I knew about Glow at that point. And I was like, I'm going to get that Gilda girl um, an audition for Glow. I want to see, I want to see that, I want to see that wackadoo Jew for Glow. And then it came <laughs> for Glow. And, but it was all because of this sort of witches, whatever, it all swirling in the universe. And I was like, for the first time in my career, well, not for the first time in my career, but for the first time in a long time, I was in the conversation. Mm -hmm. I was I was like, I got an at-bat at least. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that was- Yes, yeah, someone, someone stepped it up for you.
right? That's like all the other feeling. times I've heard it happen in my career of like, oh, this person worked on this and then the director's doing this other thing and they're gonna rehire them. Like I, I was, I had never really been the, I don't know the beneficiary is the right word, but like I've never really been the recipient of that sort of like, well, you did this sure. with them, now do this other thing with them. And because of that, and because of that dynamic that happened there, um, number one, what was the audition process like? They already knew you were a great actress and you could probably actually do the role, so here's just some lines to read, but what about the physicality of the whole thing? Was that a factor in like yes. the... So for GLOW, they told us not to dress 80s and not to really wear makeup. They just wanted to see us like in workout clothes. Mm -hmm. And you know, I put on like a tiny mini skirt and fishnets and some fucking scrunch boots. And I left my hair kind of the way it is, but like it's kind of 80s ish. Um, I guess it's just classic. It's a classic do. Um, anyway, so when I went in on the uh, audition, I actually was reading Ruth for the first, I don't know, like I went in, I think, three times. I went in for Jen Houston, then I went back for the producers, then I went back. And I tested with Betty Gilpin for Ruth in front of Jen G and everybody. But in that time, I had also like read this character, this Melanie Rose character. And I had read Jenny, the cheerleader. And I had read, I don't think I read Sheila. So I'd like read these other parts. But they didn't initially have you in mind for Melrose. Like it was like, we just want her and we don't know where we want to place I think her. that was the case with a bunch of the characters. Like they were like, ooh, that, uh, that young actress, people don't know who she is yet and she's interesting. Where does she fit in our weird universe? Like, okay, she's the wolf. Gail will be the wolf or, you know, it's, it was like, but also, I mean, it was like a massive audition process. So I don't think it was very much, I think part of it was like, which actresses do we like and who are we going to bring in? Cause that's every casting process. I almost felt like it was like, in my mind, like thinking about what the casting was like, was almost like, because I kind of know from backstories and little documentaries about the casting process of that film, The Outsiders, uh -huh. which turned out to be, you know, Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, I mean, everybody. Elmino Espez, you can do Ralph Macchio, they all came out of there. But like, they wanted people that kind of hadn't really done anything before. Right. That's what Francis Coppola wanted. And they, every single person, in Hollywood audition for that. Every Correct. single one of them. They're like, everybody wants to be the greaser in the 50s, James Dean, whatever, Rob Lowe, they all did, you know, everybody. And I'm sure like there's a giant list of people that didn't get it um, that will have forever. I was supposed to be Tom Cruise character and right. you know, now I moved back to Kansas and I own a car dealership. hundred <laughs> percent. And I think with Glow, like, I think like for the Carmen role, they knew they wanted someone that looked sort of like Mount Fuji from Glow, from the sure. original Glow. And so they were, you know, they knew what they were going for. Uh, was Allison already like locked in? No, I mean, I don't think they were dragging my ass to be Ruth that many times if Allison right. locked in. Um, okay. But I think they ultimately were, you know, uh, so Allie got Ruth. So what's funny is that when I got called and told I was going to be Melanie, I didn't know what anyone was talking about. So they called my manager at the time and they were like, you booked Glow. And I was screaming, crying, jumping up and down. I literally said, which role? Because I had tried out for three or four roles. 
And he was like, Melanie. And I knew that there was like a Melrose, but I was like, I don't know who Melanie is. Who is Melanie? And then they found out. And what was really great and charming and fun and wonderful is that after I booked it, they changed it from Melanie Rose to Melanie Rosen. Ah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're just too Jewy to be Melanie Rose. <laughs> I'm going to pretend that was just a tidbit for here, even though yeah. I'm sure the world knows that already. It's a good one. Um, I love that. That's a good, that, that's really good. Um, so yeah, now you're doing the show and um, the actual like stunt work that you must get into, um, was that something that you weren't familiar with at all? Um, or was there a certain understanding of like the dynamics of the whole thing and like how you were gonna go about Obviously, you had, had to have trainers and, and, and consultants and things, I'm sure, from its time. But was there already something that you might have already had? Oh, like, did I have any wrestling moves in my arsenal? Pre Not so much wrestling moves, but like maybe like a tool or two. Yeah, like did I like dance or do gymnastics? Also sure. hard nose. Sure. Also hard nose. I was about as <laughs> athletic, like... I remember when I was a kid, the, the height of my athleticism is I joined a soccer league when I was eight, like seven. And um, I would uh, I would throw blades of grass in the air while all the kids were running by me and like count <laughs> blades. So I guess it was pretty, I mean, I wasn't not athletic. Like that sounds pretty sick. I guess it's more of a math game than a sports game. But yeah, it just really wasn't, um, I wasn't athletic. I was focusing, I mean, truly, truly focusing on like singing and acting and being a ham from the time I was nine. Like I wasn't like also doing field hockey on the side. Like I just wasn't. I also couldn't really be on teams or really in school plays and stuff because my life was very, um, I had to pick up and go a lot, you know, as a kid, right. I would pop over to LA or I would like miss after school things and extracurriculars for, for auditions. And that's not, sure. you know, a woe is me, but it's like the reality was, you know, I, I couldn't, you can't explain to like your coach that you're going to miss half of it at random. It just doesn't sure. really work for a team. I had that in this like singing group uh, that I was in in junior high. And then the next year we went to high, I went to high school and within two weeks, they, they like begged me to be in this like special after school singing group. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. And I was like, fine, I'll do it, whatever. And two weeks in, I got a movie and I'm like, I got to go. And they that were like, me. no, you can't leave us. I'm like, are you, what do you mean I can't leave you? I'm going to do a movie, a big monster movie in Hollywood, like giant sets and big director. And like, it's, this is insane. Like, I'm not going to stay here to be in your stupid group so yeah I, I kind of I, I feel I feel you on that regard. it is a hard I mean it's a hard career in that like obviously it's in a million for a million reasons but one of them is that like it doesn't really leave you a lot of space to do anything else like I even started UCB when I was out here but I kept having to miss it for like auditions or I got a job and I had to miss it and like you have to go back to the drawing board and you don't get your money back. And I had no money. And that was like 480 or whatever it was that I'm spending for this thing. And then I guess the lesson to yourself is like, well, I can't go spend another 500 bucks. I don't have to try this again to like maybe miss a bunch of it again for an audition, but I'm also not going to miss an audition because that's a possible opportunity for future work. And even though the focus of this is to work on my 
craft as well. I just couldn't ever really lock it down. That's what I was going to say. Like, was UCB something that you were like sort of a part of to hone your skills in other areas or did you want to be part of that world? Both, neither. Um, I, I have always been an improviser. I've always been a comic. I was a comedian when I was a teenager. Um, and being in this business for as long as I have, I've sort of like just always been, I mean, I haven't ever done like sit, stand, lay or whatever the, that improv game is or zip, zap, zap. Like right. I, I don't know the, if, if you put me on an improv stage with other improvisers, I don't know the game. So I don't know that I would flourish, but as far as like thinking quick on my feet and being a wise ass and ad-libbing and adding a lot of who I am and my, my sort of timing to the things that I'm a part of. That's definitely something I do. But there was a time in LA where like even my commercial auditions were like only seeing UCB comics. They wanted improvisers. And though I was one, you needed sort of that stamp to be like, I really am one. So I just, I started taking UCB, but it, um, it didn't stick. <laughs> I got to admit, I, gotta admit I, I think I would, that, that's not my bag. Although no. I admire it from afar. Like, oh, me too, big like, time. Like, I mean, not just admire from afar, but like pedestal admire. Like, I can't imagine even how to go about feeling that way. I mean, I've had people go, you're hilarious. I'm like, yeah, that's because I'm drunk and I'm just talking. Right, right, right. <laughs> but like, for, I mean, I could get up on stage and like improv like a scene, but not like in the structure of a game or trying to make the audience laugh. Like I can like, few words out of my mouth and try to get something going um i have no problem like being like i have no stage fright or anything like that but i would my knees would be knocking they're like you're doing an improv show right now i'd be like uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't i never felt that going up against people like that that are like professionals or something like I'm not, well, i always I felt like if i if i learned it it's like directly directly deeply within my very very my not very limited but like what goes on at ucb is very much in my limited skill set like i i'm i'm a few things i'm a singer i'm a comic um my brain is uh sometimes too fast for its own good um so i think i would i would th that it's what goes on over there really speaks to me i just was never able to really lock it in over there or anywhere, yeah. any, at any use. I love going to the shows and I love watching them. Anybody that's listening, sorry, we're just having a chat, but this is the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade uh, that started in New York City and now has, has two facilities here, two theaters here in Los Angeles. It was started by Amy Poehler and Matt Besser and- uh, Matt Walsh. Guys. Matt Walsh, of course. And uh, and now it's just an explosion of talent. That's why um, you've probably seen a thousand people coming out of there that you don't even know came out of this theater. So that's what we're talking about right now. And it and, it, and it's sort of like, like a big. Uh, it's a big to do. Also, though, like a lot of other things, like you were saying, I got to LA before it got cracking. I think the people right. who got to UCB before it got cracking are are the people who have really flourished. I think it's become like a lot of things. So I think it's hard to come out of there more than ever now. Right, because it's so. I just mean, like Rowling's so did, just like Second City, all those sort of places. But yeah, they uh, are. Sure. So, Jackie, thank I, I, you know, thank you for 
sharing your story with us. I really appreciate that. Sometimes it's not easy to talk to, but um, you've had a fascinating life so far. Um, anything in the works that besides like your uh, personal projects and Glow the next season? Um, I know you guys are maybe on a little hiatus right now, but um, is there any, I know it's sad. Um, we took a break we all, from- We all are waiting with bated breath and uh, we can't wait to see what happens for the uh, series finale. Um, I'm sure it's gonna be mind blowing and we're all gonna talk about it for years. But we is there do. any other projects that might be coming out uh, yes. that we can- I we am can... making a cartoon. I'm making an animated musical preschool show for Amazon. Okay. Um, with, um, I'm executive producing and voicing with Kirsten Bell. And that is wild and wonderful. And I'm um, writing all the music for that. And Did that already air one season? It's called, Do yeah, we, we're, I mean, I think, um, which is really nice, um, probably mostly because of Kristen, uh, people are talking about it, which is great. So, um, but we um, we're making, since it's 11 minute episodes, we're making 26 half hours, which is um, 52, 11 minute episodes. We're making a 52 episode first season. And I'm writing all the music with my friend Dave Schuler, And so he and I have written 52 songs, all the different genres for our show. Each episode will have the song of the day. And it's been so amazing and it's super exciting. So we initially had a launch date for Christmas 2020 to air our like double Christmas episode but now I think everything is being pushed back till 2021 because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Of course. Because of the quarantine. Quarantine, pandemic. Yeah, right. That sounds fun, actually. That sounds like a, uh, a fun project. And uh, oh, it's, it's, been, it's been super incredible. And just to, I mean, I'm, I'm working out so many different muscles and I'm, you know, learning... I have over the over this um, over the course of this process learned so much more about you know um, executive producing and mm -hmm. sort of I'm, my friend Mike and I created the show and so it's the first show I've ever sold and executive produced and um, it's wild it's a wild journey I mean I have my my little fingers in in every aspect of it mm -hmm. and. It, really really just deeply rewarding and it's been an amazing process and challenging as fuck but it's just been amazing awesome yes i'll let you know when that's coming out i mean glenn doesn't I'd love to well we that's would love to definitely um you know we usually do this in um, jacob's shack with uh glenn sitting on my lap that's right so um or what are we calling him now cleo yeah, Cleo's good, or Pia Conasandine, or Cleo Andante. Cleo Pio. Yeah. Cleo <laughs> Pio. My, there's my sirens again. That's our cue. Um, Little love mother. you, Jackie. Love you, Glenn. Uh, we love, love to you have guys. You. Thank you for having love me. Love to have you in the actual shack uh, for part two. And then we could just shoot the shit and do whatever we need to do to get through the, uh, the day um, and, and not cough on Jacob. So that'll be we'll that'll be wonderful guys. I can't wait to see you in person again and um until then 
until then, thank you for coming on and uh, we'll uh, stay safe and everyone in your household, be safe and uh, we'll see you and talk to you really soon. Bye guys. Bye. Bye Jackie. Miss you. All right, now it's just me and Jacob. <laughs>